We're going to get a chance to go back there again this year, and of course, it's an invitation for you to go with us. Uh, if you want to go with us on our June trip to Guatemala, it, you could actually get to hang out with uh, Rob and Amanda, who are moving there. I photobombed them on a chicken bus, which is really, as photobombs go, one of the most epic photobombs of all times. We, were, uh, we took them down there. So David and I uh, have traveled quite a bit you know, globally, so, but we kind of wanted to give them a, you know, dump you into the into the world and show you can actually survive. You can actually get from one place to the other. Thousands of Guatemalans do this every day and they don't die, that it's actually, you can get on it. So we got on a, they call them a chicken bus because basically every, they'll throw everything in there from the chickens to the medical supplies to kids and just throw them all on a bus. Uh, three, three to a seat across and basically the, uh, what it is, there's two. And then when you sit on the edge, you're literally, you're, you know if you've got the edge seat, you literally only get one cheek. Uh, and the other cheek over here, this is what it means to turn the other cheek, I don't know. But then you, uh, you actually lean into each other. So you get like a left cheek and a right cheek and you meet in the middle in the aisle. So the aisle is full all the way down. And uh, that was a, a great day for them. This was actually what it looks like after a day of mission together. <laughs> they had lapsed into a coma at this point. We did not seek medical attention, although maybe we should have arguably. Uh, the, the Juilliard family is, uh, it was so wild because when we talk about God is on the move, and we invite God to move in our lives and the Holy Spirit to move, doesn't that sound awesome? And it is, except for the part when then sometimes he moves his people. Like, I'm like, oh, crud, I didn't realize that part kind of stinks. And so that's what's happening. God has been moving in our midst, and that means that this family, who just like you and I, just a normal family, working their day job, minding their own business, and God started tapping them on the shoulder. When he knocking on the door of their heart, or I'm sorry, knocking on the door of their heart, <laughs> and they answered. And so they'll be moving hopefully by May, which means that when our team gets there in June, that we'll actually get to hang out with them for that week and help them as they're getting settled in. Uh, as I thought about today, by the way, if you're a teenager, would you raise your hand if you're part of our youth ministry? Right, okay, so I know where you guys are, because I know at least somebody's not gonna be sleeping. Now, where are the center point kids? Some of you guys are in here too, right? And I know that you guys, uh, your parents won't be sleeping, because you'll be right next to them, elbowing them. So if you see your mom or dad not enough, just go ahead and give them a little elbow for me. I thought about this this morning, wondering, man, what do, what do I talk about with, with a group of kids? Can I break out the puppets? I don't even know where I put them, I don't even know where they are. And the kids, when we were little, like you guys, when you see the video thing, when we were little, like, we had this thing called flannel graph. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> that was our PowerPoint presentation. It was, a, it was a little cutout picture of a dude that was like the Jesus dude. And the thing, after you've been at church a while, you realize that it was like the same character over and over again. That Peter and Jesus, like, yeah, they'd rotate out and be the same guy in different, different storylines. And I couldn't find any flannel graphs either. And so... What I thought I could maybe do to keep you awake is tell you the story of Otto. And that's Otto with his eyes kind of closed in a, in a blue hat there. And you can't really see it because I didn't do a good job of, of putting it in there, but behind him, that's the, uh, that's the view outside of his window. Otto lives in a slum called La Limonada, which is Spanish for lemonade. It's the largest slum in Central America. The oldest one. 70, 60, 70,000 people live in this hole in the ground 
that is then controlled by gangs. Like this area, we couldn't go into this area without having somebody with us. They told us to take our, our wedding rings off and stuff so that, you know, because we might get robbed. But the, there's a gang that controls this area and there's a gang that controls that area all within this little slum. And so when we'd, we came into the entrance, we had to have somebody from La Limonada in that particular area. It was almost like, you got, you know, West Haven and Buckingham. And so we had to get somebody from West Haven to meet us at the, uh, so otherwise we would, you know, it was dangerous for there. And so we went down into this, literally like this giant hole with this, you know, sloppy wet river and nasty stuff at the bottom. And you're going around thinking, man, where's the hope in something like this? And then we meet a guy like Otto. Otto has four kids, three kids. One of which is 23 years old and was shot in the back in a gang fight. And he's now paralyzed from the waist down. And he can't actually, they don't have a wheelchair. So he basically spends his day sitting in this kind of a chair thing with the blanket over him because he gets cold. It was 50, 60 degrees, which Guatemalans were hysterical. They're all like, like a bunch of Californians running around like, Brr, it's so cold, it's 60 degrees. But he sits there all day and his dad makes shoes with him. And his dad's name is Otto. And what I thought was awesome about Otto was see the smile on his face? That was kind of how he was the whole time. He had a smile on his face. His paralyzed son, living in a slum, making shoes. He kind of looked a little bit like Geppetto. It was like, there was no Pinocchio, but it was like Geppetto. Uh, it was just up there making shoes. And Otto was doing something. Not only was his son now home and making shoes with him, he was having other young men in the slum that are like your age, he was hiring them to make shoes with him. And the hope being that the part of the allure of gang was that to, you know, for belonging and to provide and to have a job and there's money in it. And so he was giving them a job with the hopes that they wouldn't have to end up like where his son was. All day long, Christian sits there as a living metaphor, a living parable of, of what your life could look like if you go down this road. And not only is that the bad where you could end up, but then he's like, oh, but here's another option. You could actually work here and help me make shoes. And that day they were putting together an order for 85 shoes. They were ordered by a catalog company from a ministry there that was helping to you know, give them uh, microfinancing to help them get stuff rolling in businesses. And it was like this amazing thing. And how is it that auto could be fulfilled and not that there aren't going to be hard days and maybe longer nights, but to have a smile and to have this fulfillment. How is that possible to live in a slum with a paralyzed son and to still have a fulfillment? And I believe that the reason was not because Otto had anything. I mean, at one point, literally, there's like a little mouse. We're in the middle of this intense conversation, and out comes this little baby mouse, like scurrying out and like looks up, like, oh, ah, and then it runs back under. And, under, he was sitting under Christian. That was apparently it was his house. Was under Christian's chair. And by the way, Christian had a smile on his face the whole time too. I don't know if you noticed that, David, but that was fascinating to me. I'm like he's smiling too. Here's why, I believe, at the deepest heart of our heart, of your heart, if you, if, at this young age, even at the deepest part of your heart, 
You have this need, and it doesn't go away for, for growth, but also for contribution, for giving back. Not just to be a taker, but to give. And the weird thing is that it seems so counterintuitive, because every message you're going to get, every billboard, every Disney show, is about success and being famous and being awesome and having all this stuff. And yet the suicide rate in America is one of the highest on earth. Because we get all this stuff and it's like, you know, it's what Ecclesiastes said, it's like vapor. You can see vapor. You can be inside of vapor. You can be surrounded by vapor. But you can't grab it. You can't touch it. You can't take it home with you. It's cotton candy. Which tastes good for about 12 seconds and then it's gone. They brought... He brings giving back to these young men in the community, or just a handful of them. But there's fulfillment because he's, he's given back. And he's using his talent and his gift. And in that spot, giving back, there's fulfillment. And that's the promise that you and I can have. When Jesus promised an abundant life, when he said you have to lose your life to find it, you can take him quite literally at that. How does that work? How do you, if you're a grown-up and you're miserable, or if you're a teenager and you're thinking, I don't want to be miserable, and maybe some of you already are, how do you get to the place, to that abundant life that he promised? I think it's really simple, it's really easy, and it's part of this whole long journey we've been on this month. The whole shift in our small groups towards giving back, towards contribution, towards working as a team, is that in every one of you is this gift and as you deliver it, we did a lot of our shopping this year online. Our, the UPS driver hates us right now because we live out on this old windy road and he had to like back this thing down and drop off these gifts. But how weird and how creepy would it have been if the UPS driver just pulled over on the side of the road and started playing with all of Ethan's Christmas presents? Ethan, where are you, buddy? That, that's no good. That's lame. The gift inside of you is not for you. You're the UPS driver. You're supposed to go deliver that. And every one of us has a gift inside of us. Notice I didn't say talent. One of the things that our society has done is suggest that because you're talented in a specific area, that that's your gift. A talent is a highway on which your gift can travel. I'm going to say that again. A talent is a highway on which your gift can travel but it is not, in and of itself, your gift. And to guys like me who can't get on American Idol and win, thank God. <laughs> and to those of you who can't maybe paint or do something that's visually awesome or you're maybe not as impossibly good looking and witty as I am, maybe I don't, but, but if you don't have that gift, <laughs> that talent, how can you be fulfilled? And I'll tell you, if you've got your Bibles, go with me to the book of Romans. In the Bible, Parenthetically speaking, there's three different times where we see like a gift mentioned in the scriptures. Romans 12 is the only place where it actually refers to the gifts of the Spirit, a gift from the Spirit, literally. You're thinking, no, that's not true. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about different gifts. Go home and read and pray about it. But 1 Corinthians 12, the word gifts is in italics, which means it wasn't in the original language. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, now concerning spiritual 
gifts, italics, wasn't there because in the original language, there's a word called pneuma that we really don't have a word for. It's like the operations of the spirit. In fact, some of the newer translations says, and now concerning spirituals. And it's every bit as relevant for today as it was, I believe, 2,000 years ago. I believe that the gift, maybe the only word that I got that can maybe come close is the operations of the spirit. Prophecy, miracles, the gift of tongues, those are all there. There's this, the operations of the spirit. So 1 Corinthians 12, the word gifts isn't actually there. It's the operations of the spirit. In Ephesians 4, it refers to gifts, but it's gifts the ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, the apest, those gifts are given as a honing, a working, a preparing for the work of the ministry. That's important because I grew up thinking that the pastor, the, the gig for the pastor was to gather you guys around me so I could do the work of the ministry. The exact opposite of that. I grew up uh, in a church that did a lot of amazing things, but I thought we were supposed to get there so our pastor could do it. I spent the last 18 years before I did this as an artist manager and realized that was really an appropriate metaphor because at the end of the day, Sarah and Amber and Julia, you guys had to get on the road and go do it. All I could do is make some suggestions and nod and nudge and do, but you guys had to get on stage and deliver the goods. As a pastor, or a prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, our gig is really just to sort of nudge and cajole and give you, but you gotta get on the stage at the end of the day and do the thing that God called you to do. In 1 Corinthians 12, the operations of the Spirit, I believe, is a good example of the Father and His working in our lives, still continuing to this day. Ephesians 4, I believe, is a picture of the Son of Jesus and His work like a carpenter, honing away at us. But in Romans 12 are the gifts of the Spirit that every single one of you, from the oldest to the youngest, have inside of you. And when you figure out what that is and you're operating in that, if you're a singer, that's great, but you're, that might be your talent, but your gift is exhortation or prophecy or leading. And if you're not doing that thing in your life, you will live unfulfilled and empty, unlike Otto. And it says in Romans 12 that having then these gifts according to the grace that is given us, let's use them. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry, let's use it in ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Every one of you in this room has one primary and probably secondary ones of those in your life. And when you relax and stop trying to be somebody you're not, because I really wanted to be the prophecy guy, but kind of on the administration guy, I wanted to be this other, but I, I, I like spreadsheets, and I don't know, it's just weird. Some of you, that's your love language. <laughs> your wedding vows were written out on an Excel spreadsheet, and you're like, that's fine with you. I see an Excel spreadsheet in my eyes roll back in my head, because that's not my gift. I want it to be, but it's not. People around me want it to be, <laughs> but it's not. And I believe it's not, because if I had, there's only one person, we don't have time to go into this morning, that ever walked this earth that had all seven of these, and that was Jesus. And if I had all seven of them, I wouldn't need you, and I wouldn't need him. He allows me to have this strength, but then also this 
not a weakness, it's just an incompleteness. And so that when my gift comes together next to your gift and your gift next to someone else's gift and we're all working together, we can be Jesus. That's why it talks about in these verses earlier, leading right up to it, verses 4, 5, 6, it refers to us as the body of Christ. And if we don't have somebody in here with the gift of administration leading, then it's like we don't have a thumb. How do you eat nachos without a thumb? I mean, you, know, you can, but it, you got to have that opposable appendage. Sometimes the gifts oppose, but they come together and they allow us to be stronger. Is this making sense? And what is really sad is when a body of believers comes together and there's a perfectly good set of legs sitting like Christian's legs that aren't really being used for anything. And Christian can get quite a bit done sitting where he's at, giving hope to those around him. We can do quite a bit if we're sitting in a chair. We can communicate, we, but people gotta come to us. We gotta have the legs. We gotta have all the gifts so we can all work together. When you look at these gifts, the purpose of them ultimately is really simple and that is to really to display, to give, to declare Jesus, to declare truth. Truth is in and of itself, when the body of Christ, when Jesus is being who, we, who he is on earth in us, then truth and love is what is declared. And I wrote these really quick. They don't necessarily have to start with a D, but it helped me to remember them. But the gift of prophecy, now, by the way, there is a gift in 1 Corinthians 12, an operation of the Spirit there. But this one, this word is just like the guy that just doesn't know when to shut up. The guy, the guy that you, or the girl that just like, wow, I can't believe she just said that. That's harsh. That's, there's this, that thing, that, that thing in a lot of us that says there's this little filter between here and here that says don't say that. Generally speaking, the person with the gift of prophecy, that's broken. And that's not all bad because sometimes I talk myself out of saying what I should say by the time it gets here, or I water it down so much. I mean, who loves their Bible soaked in a you know, bowl of milk in the morning? Nobody, you, you want it to be crunchy sometimes. And so the, the gift of prophecy is that. And some of you young men and women and parents, some of your kids that you think, well, that's, she just bulldozes right through a conversation. You may have a son or a daughter with the gift of prophecy to declare truth. And our job as a parent is not to crush it and to make them be like my gift, but instead to be like bumpers on a bowling alley, keep the ball from going left to the right. Young men, one of the things that you may or not know about your parents is half of our job. You guys have a lot of ideas on any given day. And really my job as a parent is to try to ferret out that's a good idea or that's a bad idea. Sometimes we let you do the bad ideas just because I can tell you all day long jumping off that was gonna hurt, but when you did it, Lesson learned. And as a parent, we've got to unpack that in our kids and allow that and go and send it out to let them deliver their gifts so that they're not 40 years old trying to say, I'm trying to be somebody else because my mom and my dad didn't want me to be who I was. Miserable. The gift of ministry is a, really, it's a demonstrating of truth, but it's a, 
I skipped ahead here, didn't I? It's a giving of truth. It's really just displaying. Ministry is serving. Ministry is showing truth. I, 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 we live in a world, this conduit world is full of you guys who show truth everywhere you go. When Joe picks us up at the airport, let me phrase that. When Joe takes us to the airport at Odark 30, he actually offered the, well, it might have been the Haiti trip, when he said, hey, I can, and I had to, we had to go through Nolansville to pick somebody up, and I, when he, he emailed me, I'm like, hey, I'm going to give you a chance to, uh, to take that back, because here's what it's going to look like. You're getting up at like 2.30, picking me up at 3.15, driving through Nolansville, then getting to the airport. But Joe has a gift of ministry. And Joe's fulfilled at 3 in the morning. I, I am not fulfilled at 3 in the morning. I used to go to bed at three in the morning. It's weird to stay up until, I mean, to get up at that time. I thought you went to bed at that time. But the gift of ministry is where Joe finds his fulfillment from. He is demonstrating, teaching, it's describing. Some people have this ability. I sometimes think that's where I, because when I was a kid, it got me in trouble. I was just rapidly curious. How does this work? What happens if I do this and this? And what if I put those two wires together? What will happen? But the upside of that was, why does it say that in the Bible? And what, what, that doesn't seem to make any sense. And I will literally, people ask how long does it take to prepare a message. I don't know, because I'm just constantly in a state of trying to figure stuff out and then reporting back what I figure out. That's the gift of teaching. Describing truth, defining it, dividing it, rightly dividing the word. There's a gift of exhortation, which is really just distributing truth. You're just going around, you're that... You know who you are, and you know the people that we know who you are, because you, you, when you get in the room, we love it when you show up, because you raise the temperature in the room. Your joy is contagious. You have this ability to just cheer somebody up, to just give them the hug at the right time. I, I believe that's a, a Dolores gift all day long, this gift of exhortation. She works in the trenches at Place of Hope. You talk about a place where it's hard to have hope when you're working in the trenches through Christ-centered drug and alcohol rehabilitation and getting people back on the streets, and there's failure when that happens. But she's got this ability just to cheer them on and to be that joyful person in the room. And there are many others like you in this room that are, that's your gift as well. Giving is delivering the truth. When you're giving in an offering, when you're giving money, you're basically giving something that then delivers truth to someone in need. Leading is, the word administration and leading are kind of two sides of the same coin in the interpretation. It's the administration, it's the one we were talking about, the spreadsheet person. Administrating, you're deploying the truth. And mercy at its greatest is depicting, modeling, saying to someone who doesn't deserve it, someone who doesn't really deserve a second chance. And if you've got the gift of mercy, you've, oh man, don't give them any more chances. And sometimes if you've got the gift of mercy, they might even say, well, you're just a wimp. You're just a sucker. Maybe you're just somebody with the gift of mercy. And at that point in that time that that person that you've shown mercy to has, they've had plenty of people telling them what not to do. They had plenty of people, including and not limited to themselves, telling them what not to do and not to do it again and to quit messing it up. And sometimes they just needed somebody with the gift of mercy to come up and give them a hug and listen. All 
seven of these together, when we as a body are working, not only are you going to be personally fulfilled, we're going to be maximally effective. We've seen it. We've seen it with the Malloy children. I've told you the story. They lost their mama last year. She died. There's five kids left and then a sixth one who is the 19-year-old sister who's now the mama. She's the head of the household. They live in a shack. I wouldn't keep my tools in it. My sheep live better than they do. At least my sheep have hay. Not the Malloy children. But seven gifts coming together. Somebody had a gift of mercy. I'm walking and I'm looking and it's like, what do we do? The, the grave is literally in their yard. A two-year-old child is climbing on his mother's grave and doesn't even know it. We needed somebody to declare it. A guy named Chris Margraf is the... Oh, can I say that? Oh, I hope so. Uh, he's, he's on the board of the Conduit Mission, and he was with me, and he's standing there, and he's I, I, we can't let... We can't let this happen. He starts asking his friends and declaring truth and getting money to come in. He donated a large sum himself, so the gift of giving, the gift of uh, leading in this, administrating, is coming from Amy and from Jana when we're putting together the money, trying to figure out how do we make this happen. And all seven of these gifts coming together, Jesus working, Jesus being the hands, the feet, the arms, and the legs, and we get to go down in a few weeks and tell the Malloy children that they're going to have a new home by summer. The $15,000 came in because the seven gifts of the Spirit came and worked together. And I could go over example after example after example. But the reason that we are moving towards our small group setting, the reason that your teenagers said, hey, well, let's get together and see if we can raise some money for the, what's going on with the homeless population in Nashville. That came from Sarah. Where are you, Sarah? Right there, right in the front row. You're very spiritual when you're in the front row. I don't know if you know that. Sarah had this idea that was stirring in her. The gift of mercy. She goes to Jim, who's got a gift of exhortation. And Donna's got this gift of administration. Why are we going to figure this out? We've got to do this. And before you know it, the gift of giving kicks in. All seven of these gifts are coming together. Along with our brothers and sisters at Place of Hope, Mike Coop, who has a gift of mercy and prophecy, sort of simultaneously, very rare, and we're going to be able to give them some money to help supplement and do what they're doing. These seven gifts coming together, a small group of believers coming together and accomplishing big things for the kingdom. The reason we have to do this is it's the way that God wired us. It's what he's created us to be. And ironically, this, he's, how do you serve a God that doesn't have any needs? What are you going to give him? So he says, well, that's cool. I got everything. But if you give to someone in need who can't pay you back, that counts as if you're giving it to me. So when we come together as brothers and sisters and we take that gift that he's given us and then we're delivering it side by side like an army of UPS trucks pulling into the driveway, delivering Christmas, how fulfilling is that? Because you are doing what God wired you to do, being what he wired you to be in your sweet spot. And as a small group, in Acts 6, the widows Acts 2, that was going fine. Everybody's doing awesome. We're, we're helping these, these women who needed help. They couldn't provide for themselves. But by the time Acts 6 rolled around, some of the widows are being overlooked. Perfectly smart, perfectly reasonable human beings are standing there who weren't helping them. Not because they didn't want to. They just didn't even know. It wasn't their gift. 
So when the disciples came together and said, okay, we're going to appoint seven people. You're going to appoint seven people. You're going to figure this out. It wasn't because it was beneath them. It was because it wasn't in their wheelhouse. The disciples were using their gift of teaching, saying, hey, you really should be doing this. This is what Jesus told us to do. But somebody has to come along and figure out how to do it. So they appointed seven people. And in that seven, I don't believe that number is an accident. There's no way I could prove this, but I wonder if in that group that there was a perfect seven. Somebody with each one of the gifts rolling. And they came together and they figured it out. I can see it in my mind's eye, and I hope you can as well, that as our church is grown and growing, that we can come together from the youngest to the oldest, bringing our gifts together. And those of you who maybe you have a need in one area, you're like all of us. We have a need in this area, but I have excess in this area. I might not have much money here, but man, I know how to do this. You, everybody, there's a, the ability for everybody to participate. Everybody can contribute because it had nothing to do with your talent or your life position and everything to do with deciding that, hey, this is a gift that God has given me and I can be like Otto. I can have nothing. I can have mice. I can have a paralyzed son, but I can still give something and in that is where I'm going to find fulfillment. He didn't know that. Nobody taught him that. The Holy Spirit just boom, moved it inside of him. And he's got people with the gift of giving around him. He's got somebody with the gift of administration who's helping him to do these shoe orders. And somebody put it on a website and it, the body of Christ came together and is bringing hope, is bringing Jesus to the slums of La Limonada. It doesn't have to just be there. In fact, it ought not to be just there. It ought to be everywhere. And if we as brothers and sisters are working together, whether it's youth groups, and I love it if our family's coming together, that's why when we're going to do these groups together, I'm not saying let's put the kids down in the basement and tie them up and then come find them later, or in my case, it'd be the barn, but anyway. Bring them in, let them help solve the problems with us. Jesus paid too much for this. He paid too much for the gifts that he's given us. They certainly weren't free to him. Jesus was wounded in seven places. And I can't help but wonder and think if I was better at slides. But I wonder if when you look at these gifts and correspond them with the seven places that he bled from, if he wasn't trying to tell us a story. Jesus would be wounded from his feet. And leadership, when we're deploying truth, him paying for that gift for you to deliver. Because let me tell you what, young men and young women, when the Amazon truck rolled in, or the drones, I don't know if you've got the Amazon drones, we don't have those where I live, but when they pulled in, somebody paid for that. Your mama, your daddy, your aunt, your uncle, your mima, your papa. In this case, it was Jesus, and he paid for the gift of administration. Because your feet are going to need to lead us somewhere. I wonder if the gift of exhortation was one from his hand. Because what does a hand do when someone falls but to pull them back up again? And Jesus, again, operating in all seven of those in a gift of exhortation, if you've fallen down, holds out not only a hand, but he holds out a hand with a, with a scar in it and a reminder that he paid for it and he's got you.
He bled from his back in the gift of prophecy, of declaring truth, of defending, of being. He's got your back. A gift of dividing and understanding and discernment and teaching. He bled from his head. And in those seven places that he bled from, coming together to create these seven gifts, maybe that's why it talks about it in the context of the body of Christ. My hand and your hand coming together. Your feet, your legs, we're carrying, we're taking it out, we're declaring truth, we're showing, we're loving, we're administrating it, and ultimately bringing a picture of Jesus that, that not only meets the needs of those that we're going to meet the needs of, but in and of itself meets your own as well. And I would encourage you as, as our worship band is coming back this morning to pray about what is it that gift that God has put inside of you? Two of our groups are going to be meeting this afternoon. Cortland's group met Friday night. Some of you are already in small groups already, and you're already having these conversations. What is the gift that we have? And I'm hitting this this morning because I really wanted us to all be able to look at ourselves and say, I may not have anything. I might have jack squat, but I've got a gift inside of me that the world needs, that Satan would, through fear, through this thing of me trying to be, in, I'm insecure, what if they reject me? Jenny Tiemann told the story of going to visit someone this week who's in need, a, a mama that died this week, and she didn't know what to do, she, and she was nervous, should I go, should I, and she pushed through, and courage said, I'm gonna go take a meal to this family. We all have those things. We will lie to ourselves and we will hide those gifts and be like a weird, creepy UPS guy hoarding them for ourselves, which doesn't do anything for us but just make us lonely and depressed and withhold what God had for somebody else. Do we want to grow old doing that? No. You guys are teenagers and children and young. You don't have to grow old this way. And for those of you that are already in that, you don't have to stay there. You can look to the hands of Jesus and say, if your gift is exhortation, that Jesus paid for that there, why would I want to keep it for myself? The gift of mercy. I think mercy is one of the most unappreciated gifts we have because we live in this country where everybody got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and figure it out. And, and sometimes somebody just needs a hug. And I can't hug your boots, that's weird. But if you've got that gift of mercy, don't hoard it, don't hide it, don't be embarrassed of it, don't let the enemy tie it up, give it away. And as we are doing this in our body, I believe in our groups that not only will we make an impact in the community around us, in the world around us, but in our own hearts as well. That we can do like Paul when he said in Philippians, well, I've learned the secret of being content, whether I have much, whether I have little, I have nothing to do with it, he wrote it from prison. The secret is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when I'm doing that, operating in that gift that he's given me, you operating in yours, I'm fulfilled, you're fulfilled, and we're just downright effective. Pray about it today. What is it that is your gift? And you may, I don't know what my gift is. What's your first reaction? If someone were to walk up here to hand me a glass of water, trip and shatter the glass over the floor, what's your first reaction? Is it to 
man, somebody needs to do something about that. They got that cable's right there. We got to do, we got to fix that. We got to, you know, thus saith the Lord. I declare that that cable needs to be moved. Maybe you're that, that's your thing. You're the prophecy guy or girl. Somebody, oh man, I, I, I swear if I did this and it just happened, three or four of you would have literally jumped up and ran and grabbed a mop. Like immediately without even thinking about it. Gift of ministry. Some of you guys with the gift of giving, we're like, well, we probably ought to take up an offering. Just put, get some tape. We need a tape offering. We're going to do a new tape fund. We've got to get some, figure that out so we can figure out how to not have to do that again. Your gift is maybe giving. And I'm being somewhat facetious, but you know what I'm saying there. Every situation that we encounter, every problem that the enemy throws at us, if we meet it with the sevenfold gifts of the Spirit, paid for by the seven places that Jesus bled from, seven is the number of perfection, we're an unstoppable army. Pray about it this morning. What is your gift? For those of you that are going to be meeting at my house in a little bit, we're going to talk about it. I want to find out what is your gift? What's your reaction? Those that are going to be meeting with David and Jana today, we want to, because what we're doing is we're going to look at this problem and we're going to solve it. I'm not smart enough to do it on my own. I need you. You need me. From the oldest to the youngest, I hope you guys... If you didn't hear anything else I've said today, I know that the inside of you is a gift and half of what your life is right now has nothing to do with how cute you look, even though you all look real super cute. But it's finding what is that gift in you and then going and giving it away. Father, would you be with us this morning as we ask for your wisdom and discernment. Lord, make us like Otto. Give us the courage of Otto. Otto had nothing, but still figured out a way to not only make shoes, and, but to give back to his community, to rescue kids like his own. Give us all that fulfillment. Show us how we can use those gifts that, that just brings the fulfillment inside of us. We love you so much, and thank you for paying for these gifts. How dare I sit on them at the price that you paid for them? How dare any of us? It's in your name we pray. Amen.